Hello and welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm, brought to you by FunkinStuff.net. This is the interview show that gets deep into the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. Available in video format at FunkinStuff.net and on YouTube, Truth and Rhythm can now also be enjoyed on the go in its audio podcast edition from FunkinStuff.net, iTunes, and other leading providers. I'm your host, Scott Dr. GX Goldfein, musicologist and author of Everything is on the One, the First Guy oh. to Funk. Get your copy at Amazon. Whether you're listening or watching, I thank you very much for your interest and support. And you've tuned in for a good one this time. <laughs> yes, today, you can maybe hear him rumbling in the background, but none other than guitarist vocalist Howard Scott, drummer Harold Hello. Brown, and harmonica player Lee Oscar, all original founding members of War, one of the most important and successful funk R&B bands of all time. In recent years, they've performed together as a lowrider band. So, guys, thank you so much for joining me today. How y'all doing? Doing good. Doing Thanks. good. It's our pleasure, sir. Thanks for using this wonderful technology and uh, saving plane flights, and we all here. <laughs> Excellent. Actually, coming all the way from Seattle, from Seattle to Charlotte today. Yeah, right. That's right. Yeah, they said wherever two or more of us are gathered, here's the funk. <laughs> I can feel it, no doubt. Before we uh, get into some questions, I want to uh, share with the viewers more about your amazing uh, career. So here we go. Along with keyboardist, vocalist Lonnie Jordan, saxophonist Charles Miller, bassist B.B. Dickerson, percussionist Papa D. Allen, were emerged from Los Angeles, my hometown, to begin life in 1969 as former Animals lead singer Eric Burdens backup band. During the relatively brief time together, they notched a major hit and spilled the wine. With a unique and immediately identifiable sound marked by deep funk grooves, heavy percussion, Latin rhythms, sax harmonica horn section, group vocals, and unifying, unifying messages, War struck out on their own in 1971. Along with producer Jerry Goldstein, they would go on during the 1970s to release a run of hit multi-million selling albums and singles. Their third album, The World is a Ghetto, was popular music's best-selling album of 1973. In addition to that album's title song, other key tracks by the band included All Day Music, Get Down, Slippin' in the Darkness, The Cisco Kid, which is the one that got me into the band when I was, uh, I think, 12 years old or so. You were the baby. Wow. Where Was You At, Gypsy Man, Me and Baby Brother, Why Can't We Be Friends, Lowrider, Heartbeat, which from my mind, could be their funkiest track of all, Summer and Galaxy. Wow. It's important to note that most of these were not just R&B hits, but also pop hits. War rivaled or surpassed contemporaries such as the Isley Brothers, Earth, Wind & Fire, Cool & The Gang, and the Ohio Players, among others. They rivaled or surpassed them. So coming, out, we'll find, uh, coming up, rather, we'll find out how War got its start and developed its innovative style, go behind the scenes of classic songs and albums, discover what life was like during the band's peak, discuss the group's decline in turbulent 1980s, and talk about later works and reunion efforts, and then wrap it up with where things are today. So with that lead in, guys, are you ready to take on some questions? Whew. Oh, man. It wasn't me. <laughs> yeah, so as you're looking, we got Harold on the right, Howard in the middle, Lee on the left. Yeah. And for those of you that are listening, you'll just have to uh, get used to their voices. <laughs> All right. 
So guys, let's start way back. Way back. Uh, Harold was just saying he's back in Long Beach, so we're going to go way back. Um, talk about Los Angeles a little bit, growing up there and Compton, and you know, of which, as we were talking about, I'm quite familiar with being from there. Uh, but that's where Howard and Harold uh, come from. And then we'll talk about uh, Lee's early years too. But you know, what was life like growing up there? How did you get into music? And what were some of your early inspirations? When we first started playing music, my, my cousin from uh, San Antonio, Texas, if it wasn't for Jack Nelson mm. Jr. coming to Los Angeles with his uh, Les Paul Jr. <laughs> guitar, who, who taught myself and B.B. Dickerson how to both play bass, um, I don't know if we've been playing War or we have at Harold or Lee, but it started back then when Jack Nelson planted those seeds and we started playing in the clubs mm. out in San Pedro, California, where I met. Harold Brown playing in uh, some of the funky clubs out there. Did we lose you? And Johnny Otis, he's been around him. And I remember Big Mama Thornton. Did we lose him? I don't know. No, yeah. I still got you. We're yeah, still good. Okay. He still got us. It just yeah. Popped. Oh, yeah. So, so we, where, where are we at? We were talking about where you come yeah, from. Yeah, said, we, uh, we, we, we were playing out in those clubs in San Pedro, which are primarily blues clubs. So myself and Harold both cut our teeth on playing the blues, which is like when the blues is coming out, you know, just 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 transitioning to another form of music, we were coming in. So we were, we were primed to like start our own brand of music at that time. Yeah, because see, like over in San Pedro at the time, there was a lot of brothels in almost every corner, even in Long Beach. It's not like it is today, I mean, like it is today. It looked like there was a bar and a band every other street or music coming out of a church. Yeah. I remember like it was Johnny Otis. So our collabing. Willie and the hands. Yeah, right. And then there was Big Mama Thornton. We was over there, I was with Big Mama Thornton the night that Johnny Ace was got shot in. I heard from Taj Mahal that she probably, because I know she had that 22 pistol in her back. I ain't saying none of that. <laughs> look, look. But we met Sam Cooke. We met Sam Cooke at Moore's Swing Club on South Main Street. I mean, okay. we were like right in there. Who was it? Uh, I'm leaving it all up to you. Who was it? Uh, we're, look, we're, oh, we're yeah. trying to say, we, we were we were to find <laughs> Bands in Los Angeles, California coming up. We had the whole South Side uh, hooked up. So when we got into playing uh, this club in North Hollywood called Ragdoll, we were playing behind NFL star number 75, David Deacon Jones. We were like smoking that place. And that's where, that's where all the stuff started. When we got into that club right there, Eric Burton walks in with Lee Oscar. Jerry Goldstein and Steve Gold. And this is the powerhouse team that formed the band. What, Lee? W-118. What, oh, what, what was it called? We call it War. Man. <laughs> no, you know the night shift. We were night shift. Night shift. Night shift. formed into a war right after that night. Yeah. But you remember R.B. Grease was there, too. Yeah, but, yeah, and he came up later, knocked three times, that sent a letter to Maria. And then yeah. the girls that were backing us up wound up singing behind Dr. John's first album. The Burets. Right. So we 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 were we were a pretty popular LA band, and we ran into uh, I said the, the Oscar Eric Burton, who needed a band at that time, 
And when they came to see us at the Rag Doll, we were primed and ready to like take that next step into like being the band behind Eric Burton. But so there's something really important that we're jumping over too quick. Well, Howard, we earlier, we were the first black band booked on the Sunset Strip. We, we uh, went and joined Local 47 in 1940, uh, 1964. 47. Yeah, I was trying to say, yeah. 1964, and Vince DeBerry was the casual person, and he worked with Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz and Bob Eubanks. So we started opening up, we started playing uh, 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 CC, Cinema, Sander, and all the teen fairs. We were playing at the Whiskey A Go Go. We was opening up for Ike and Tina Turner. We was opening up for a lot of people. And then all of a sudden, we had this date that we we're going to be booked on the Sunset uh, in Las Vegas. I'll never forget that. And they were going to pay us $500 each a week. And all of a sudden, Howard got drafted into the Army. They didn't draft me. I got kidnapped. Well, kidnapped. <laughs> and Bobby Mickelson, our trumpet player at the time, he got drafted. I said, oh, no. So then when Howard went through all that, you know, and everything, and came back out to service, him and I looked at each other and we said, let's try it one more time. If we don't succeed this next time we try, then we'll, we'll just go into doing it. Because Howard was into the medical field. Me, I was a class A machinist and so forth. So let's go one more time. And that one more time, that's when we started putting everybody, collecting everybody back together. And then Lee, he was going at that same time period that we're talking about in the early, you know, in the, what, the Late 60s. 60s. Lee was on a journey. I mean, it's incredible what he went through. Because oh, he, I mean, before, yeah. before Lee chimes in that, just so, so uh, Howard, Howard and Howard, you guys pretty much self-taught on your instruments? Is that how it came to be? Uh, well, Jack Nelson yeah, was teaching you. Yeah, I, I, learned, I learned how to play bass first. And myself and BB were both playing bass together. And I, I could play with Harold. I could play bass with Harold, but I couldn't play with myself and BB. We could never play together. So I had to kind of like switch over to guitar so I could play with my nephew. So, it, you know, that kind of helped me a little bit. And then myself, just a little. Not, not, yeah. Not. And myself as a drummer, I was emulating if I had a hammer, I'd have it. You know, that, that, that symbol, you know, that clave vibe. And then we used to like Bobby Blue Band, woke up this morning, those boleros. So where we came from, you know, out of Southern California, we, you know, were influenced by a lot of Latin music that was coming on like, uh, my boy grew up there in Tijuana, uh, was it Carlos Santana? Mm -hmm. I mean, we used to play like in a lot of clubs, we'd be playing behind these shake dancers or strip dancers. King kakum, king ki kaka, king. So our mind was always thinking on a Latin funk, blues kind of thing. And that's how we developed. All right, then Lee, you uh, came from Denmark and uh, migrated to the uh, U.S. I'm not sure how old you were. Why don't you tell me how you got into music, the harmonica, and what brought you to America? Well, music, uh, starting with that, I got my first harmonica in 1954, when I was six years old. I was uh, the, end, the end thing that summer in our neighborhood in Copenhagen. Yeah. And, uh, you know, 
I tell a story next year was the hula hoop, and next year was the yo-yo. But, <laughs> but, I, but I, I fell in love with the harmonica. And um, an American came to visit my family and I, uh, and uh, he brought the harmonica. I guess he knew that was the end thing. And it just it was always with me. Um, just to just to mention, uh, of course, I was not a good student in school. Um, zero in music. That's hard to believe. Zero in English. I speak English <laughs> because uh, you know um, we we all connect different ways. And the way I connect with music was uh, maybe a maybe a way of saying it was very spiritual. It was not academic. Um, I'm more of an artist, I think, than a musician. I would not make a living if I was a studio musician. Uh, I would probably not even it would it would not even be in me to play whatever somebody wanted me to play. It's always been whatever's inside myself. And um, moving forward, America was uh, uh, was like a promised land in the music <laughs> industry. It was like bigger than life. Back then, there was no industry uh, even to even have the notion of being in a record with a record deal or anything. It was United States or the UK. Um, moving forward, when I was in, in America, United States, um, it was pretty tough, uh, you know, I mean, very ambitious. Didn't you come over on a cattle ship? On a cattle ship, that's what he says, man. Passenger <laughs> ship, yeah. Ship. Back then, ships were for transportation, <laughs> now it's airplanes. So, but the, but the point that I really want to get to is that um, I had such a desire, ambition to want to make it that there was, was nothing, there was nothing I was leaving behind in any way that was like a compromise. It was, it was totally uh, a destiny to want to make it in the music, make it in the music business. And um, yeah, it was tough on the streets and all that, but it wasn't tough in the sense that I didn't have, I had a direction, I know what I wanted. You know, it wasn't like I was the last person and people standing on the same street corner peddling. <laughs> uh, moving forward, when I met Eric Burton, who was like in LA, that would be a club where they let me in for free, where they used to have jams called The Experience. Um, there was another club, Whiskey Goku, Alma, Alma and Mario, they would let me in for free because mm -hmm. I had already got to know them through Hugh Masekela when I, when I came to LA. And, um, and, and then uh, when I would go and jam at Experience at that club, Marshall Brevitz was the owner, um, Eric Burton would come in and there was Blues Image, which was the band uh, that came out of Florida, friends of the owner, Marshall Brevitz. And we, I used to sit there and jam with Mike Panera and their band uh, and Eric. And that's how Eric and I got to know each other. Um, at the same time, I was trying to uh, um, get a record deal. Um, I went to AM Records thinking the, the receptionist was the record company. And, <laughs> uh, and I had the nerve to ask for $400, which was, uh, <laughs> I thought, a lot of money. Uh, and she, she got the, guy, the, the security to get this, get this, get, get this skip guy out of here. <laughs> Um, moving forward, I went, uh, I had this band I tried to put together in LA, I met at this rehearsal hall, and so we did this audition in the valley where I was going to be singing and playing harmonica with this band, 
And uh, it was like a delicatessen. There's like 10 bands that are standing in line <laughs> with a number to pay for free. And, uh, and maybe five gets a chance, and the rest of them is too late. <laughs> so, I mean, I would pay to play, right? Five. And uh, Chris Huston, who was the engineer, uh, who uh, became an engineer later for war, at that club where we're doing an audition, I met him, gives me a card, and says, uh, I have a studio. Why don't you come to my studio? So I went there thinking I can do a demo in this studio, and then I can take it back to AM Records and prove that I'm that I have something worthwhile. Maybe uh, when I got to Chris Huston's studio, he told me I won't, I can't let you use my studio unless you sign a deal with me. <laughs> so I said, no, I, of course, that was devastating, and I was depressed, sitting in the hall, uh, not knowing what I'm going to do next. And then this guy comes out of the studio, and it was Jerry Goldstein, with a colon piece of paper, pretending it's a harmonica, and yelling at him, how do you get a harmonica player? I still was so depressed, I didn't even, I didn't even say I played harmonica, and they said, Mr. Goldstein, we have somebody, and this kid came running up the stairs, and went in seconds later, I guess he didn't, didn't sound good, they put him, he went back out of the studio, and then Jerry did his thing again. I said, I play harmonica. And I had one harmonica to my name. And <laughs> he put me in the studio headphones. I played starting in fifth gear because I was so freaking excited to play. I, I, it was in key of C and I had an F hop. It was like perfect. It was like, it was like, so he gave me 10 bucks. And, um, and I took $5 and gave it to that band that uh, in addition because I felt guilty taking all money. I took the other $5 and Went out and had a pizza, couldn't afford to pay. The pizza was small. So the, um, the, the person that was with me put the rest of the money down. I put my harmonica down, so that's it. It's a tip, like anybody would want to call your harmonica. But cheese. <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, I got a man managed to get some more harmonicas. Somebody gave me or something. And then I went to back to the experience and jammed some more. And, that's, and then Eric said, I want to start a band. And... Um, so we met Phil Spector, and when I went to Phil Spector with Eric, uh, and I was in awe because hey, I got Eric Burton, I got Phil Spector, man. But Phil Spector, you couldn't see his face. He was, we were sitting there with the sun on us, and the window is behind Phil Spector. Like he's, he's, all you see yeah. is a silhouette. silhouette. <laughs> I mean, it was very intimidating. And um, but Eric wanted to join, being business, I think, and so he wanted to go with Steve Gold and Jerry Goldstein. We had a visual thing, a poster company. And I was going to go wherever it was, and I'm fine. This is like, I'm in awe. I'm, finally, <laughs> I'm making my destiny come true. And so we went to a club that we were told um, what Peter Rosen was a bass player. Right. We worked for Jerry and Steve in visual thing, the poster company. He was playing bass. And he had told that about this band that's playing in North Hollywood. The, the Night Shift. The Night yeah. Shift. At, at the, what did he say about the Night Shift? That we all... Nothing except, uh, oh. no, I mean, I didn't hear nothing. I just heard Eric say, come on with me. We're going to go down to the spot and check out this band. Uh, by the way, uh, the, um, um, the, uh, the band, uh, um, what, what was the band that came out of Florida? Just blanked out. Uh, 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 image. Eric wanted that to be the backup band. We played one thing, but then they got a deal with Adco Records and Ride Captain Ride. They did that, got that hit. So when Eric, I went along with Eric, and we went to uh, the Ragdoll, uh, there was this 
football player, I guess, uh, Big Jones, I don't know who he is. Yeah, he's doing a one-arm push-up singing, I love you, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I love you in a pro with the name of the song. <laughs> it's kind of strange. And uh, when he took his break, uh, for his debut singing, I guess, the backup band was Night Shift. I jumped on stage and sat in and played some harmonica with them. And uh, that was the lucky moment. Where right, right, that right. was the moment. It, it wasn't that he jumped on stage. We, we were up there playing. We like and we jam. saw this kid coming in with, I his, it was with his leather coat on and he had a harmonica belt. <laughs> and I said, hey, here comes Eric Burton, you know. And, it was <laughs> and he was like I said, my father was a real, real harmonica blues type guy. But so when Louis got, Lee got up and started playing on harmonica, I was right into that right there because I love harmonica playing. And he could play. So we said, yeah, Howard that. Daddy used to set up on School Street on the porch in his old chair, and he'd be playing harmonica. Well, we, we, we had a good time jamming with Lee. And, and I guess what happened afterwards was, you know, they had a meeting with uh, Lee and Jerry and Steve and Eric. And, oh, yeah. Well, not when, not when it was. No, it was uh, right after we, I sat in with you guys. Yeah. So it was like man. the next day that we all, the nucleus of your band. Yeah. So so it was Went, went to this address where I went to. It was sitting around the swimming pool Yeah, in Hollywood. It was in uh, Westwood. You said it was Westwood. Yeah. I think it's Hollywood. I I'm right Hollywood. there on Cannon Drive. But uh, an old, wherever uh, it was, yeah, Cannon Drive. Um, uh, we sat around the swimming pool, and that's when we came up with the name War. And I remember how it came up, my, my version of it. Okay. Well, I just remember, because see, that's where I got the blessing. Because I'm still living in the same areas. And cruising the same streets where everything came together. So I get to go back through those areas and I can see like Compton or San Pedro or Ventura Boulevard, where, Ventura Boulevard where you know the Ragdoll was, or going back through Westwood or off of Santa Monica and Wilshire. That's that's unique. And I get uh sometimes I get tears of joy, and sometimes I can still see them ghosts. <laughs> Hey, you know, you know, like uh, even mentioning about like later on when there was Far Productions right. and Sunset Boulevard, right? Right. Okay, so I had this show, a story to show. Yeah. Like, so we had, we had, um, there was a hamburger joint right next to us. Joe's, yeah. And we called it was Joe Burger. <laughs> and Joe Burger, we would eat every day. And there was not much going on in that <laughs> on Sunset Boulevard where we were. Uh, because that was far from Sunset Strip. We were farther east. But based on our reputation as war and uh, people start coming to the hamburger, you know, stand and Joe Burgers every day. <laughs> we never were on the other side of the street except Howard. He would be going to a Mexican <laughs> restaurant. Yeah. And you'd be going across there. But that was like the other side. We never went there. You yeah, went there. Okay. Went. Now, <laughs> so we did the World is a Ghetto album. And I was so proud because I had put Joe Burger in that. Album oh, yeah. cover with us standing there and all that. It was like a, you know, like an improvisation on the neighborhood. Of course, the buildings would look different, but we we all seven in there, and it says Joe Bergen. And, and then I went to Joe. You know, the, uh, a perma plaque of the album cover, and <laughs> I gave it to him. But I never saw it up. Some people told me they saw it up. But I never saw it up. You put it up, yeah. Well, I never saw it, and yeah. it was like so. Moving, so moving forward, now years later, I come out with Manufacturing Harmonicas in 1983, and my first deal was with Guitar Center. You're right across the street. And, and the Guitar Center was one store across the street 
<laughs> from 7417 Sunset Boulevard, which was our building back then. And across the street was a guitar center, and their main office was in the valley. So after they made the deal in the valley, I go in to see the manager at the store. And when I step back out, I look across to reminisce, <laughs> and I see it says Sunset Grill. <laughs> I said, when did he change it from Joker to Sunset Grill? And I almost got literally run over by cars in Sunset Boulevard because there's no cross, you know, cars like this. And, uh, and, and halfway across, coming back on the same side where we were familiar with, I don't even see the marquee anymore. <laughs> I walked up to Joe and Joe says, uh, how, how are you, how are you? I said, I'm good, but when did you change it to Sunset Grill? <laughs> Couldn't even answer, he didn't know what I was talking about. So what I found out is that all these years, we made that place famous, Joe Burger. Right. But even the Eagles came out of tune based uh, on what we made a reference down at Sunset Grill. It was always called Sunset Grill. Had I known that, I would have put Sunset Grill in there. <laughs> the Eagles wouldn't have had that song. They would have called it down Joe Burger. Down at Joe Burger. So, so then moving forward, so Harold and I went to reminisce because Guitar Center bought now bought that whole, that whole building. building. That's the main, that's the flagship store now. Well, that was our facility. So we went there a, a few years ago just to check things out. <laughs> Joe Burger is like a fancy, like two floor thing. Right. No, no pictures of us, all these other celebrities. All these people have no ideas about us. They right. Then we went back in the parking lot with Guitar Center. Where there was all our parking, that's where all our cars yeah, we park. Park. had that old trailer back there. And Jerry Fisher was the controller yeah. back there. And we look at it and we see a little bit of reminiscence of that they still hadn't finished painting of uh, where we used to park or I used to park. Right. And then I said to Harold, I said, You know, I think we are like the Lawrence Welk. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, it's funny how, like, here's another generation of people going to the guitar center. And they all is a Joe Burger, and they right. have no idea who we are no. and, and the history of that. And before us, it was Charlie Chaplin. Right? Oh, yeah, Charlie Chaplin. I mean, but there's a lot of stuff, you know, that we were very fortunate that time period. When we came through there, Hollywood was changing, was just shifting from, you know, like the old standard, you know, blues people, like Ike and Tina Turner or the OJs. Or, you know, oh, and the, what was the brothers? Uh, uh, the guys that sung uh, Unchained Melody. Oh, Righteous uh, Brothers. The Righteous Brothers. Because yeah. they would be all up through it. Yeah, the Righteous Brothers. Yeah. And then we were right there, and that music was changing. And Hollywood was getting ready to go into another revolution. Because all of a sudden, we had, you know, going into the Vietnam War. All of a sudden, the hippies and stuff had been rioting and stuff different times. We'd been through the Watts riot. I mean, the Hollywood was changing, was shifting at that moment. Yeah, the Watts thing, then, that was a big deal. Oh, yeah. I was coming, we were coming from Bob Eubanks' place that night, the Cinnamon Center in North Hollywood. And then Moses and them, and I drive my 56 uh, Chevy, had bucket seats in it. You know, we always made our low riders back then. And I remember pulling off on Imperial, and next thing I knew, we were right in the middle of the watch ride. <laughs> and we had to keep driving, you know, seeing bricks flying, and cars on the side and stuff. So our music and stuff at the time, we were very aware because by Howard coming up the way he did around, you know, Compton, San Pedro, there were a lot of blues stuff. Uh, myself, I came up around like Long Beach and, you know, San Pedro and stuff. And yeah, like we South Los Angeles. 
with Big Mama Thornton people. And then we started learning certain kind of ways to play. Yeah. And the shuffles, that's what uh, uh, brought uh, Eric Burton towards us. Because yeah. I started having a reputation of having one of the best double shuffles around. I learned them in the blues clubs from the old blues guys. The double shuffle. So that's how we learned, you know, and it, it worked. It just worked. We right. It was right for us. Well, we just covered so much ground. I appreciate, I appreciate the discussion you. because you're hitting a lot of questions I had just in talking. But you got it. Can I, can I, uh, guitar center. Yeah, uh, I used to go there quite a bit when I was out there, but it's changed so much out there. I mean, I really miss things like Tower Records and the whole landscape out there changing quite a bit in the Hollywood Sunset area. But um, you guys were just about to reveal how the name came about for war. So before we move on, um, you got to finish, you know, how you came up with the name. Well, you go, Lee. Well, we probably all have a different story. Uh, the way I remember it, uh, we were sitting around a swimming pool talking about names, and, uh, and Steve Gold mentioned the band uh, Joy Gray and Pollution, or what's the band? Pollution and, they, and uh, Dobby Gray. You know, Dobie Gray. Dobie Gray. Yeah, so Dobie Gray and his backup band, they call it Pollution. Yeah. So they were looking at for something like being, you know, something controversial and all that. And, and at that time, philosophically, I said, you know, uh, I said, you know, everybody walks around in peace. Right. Everybody's walking right. around saying, peace, oh, peace, brother, brother, peace, and all that. And I made a comment about that the creative part in any of us is not, if we were totally in peace, then there would be no creativity at all. Uh, so the part of us that makes, that gets the, the creative part of us is the war that we have within ourselves. And I said that, and then Steve Gold, well, that's what we should call the war, you know, yeah, but, because you were talking about Albert, Velvet Oven. Yeah, he wanted to call us the Velvet Oven. <laughs> but, but, but as I recall, he has a good enough story. As I recall, my name came up. He said, what's your name? It's H-O-W-A-R. They said, how war? What? Let's use your middle. No, it's a joke. No, he's right. No, but then I heard this one. Now, <laughs> I was just, it wasn't like that. No, no, but, but see, the first time I heard it, we was on Cannon Drive. There was a car rental place and a printer. I guess they had the office right you know, there. So we're sitting there. And in that uh, setting, there was uh, Sylvester Papa D. Allen, uh, you know, Lee Howard, Charles Miller. Uh, wasn't BB, it was the other bass player. Peter, Peter, Peter Rosen. Myself, Lonnie Jordan, Jerry Goldstein, one Steve Gold, Eric Burden, might be leaving someone. And I remember because the way we dressed, you know, coming out from the neighborhood, Steve, <laughs> <laughs> you guys look like you just came out of a war. <laughs> Why would they be war? That's all I, and then that's where I heard it. Then we started talking about they were, he used the analogy of a Sputnik at the time. What they used to do, they used to take, they were going to use Eric Burden as a rocket ship. And then they were going to put us on top like a shuttle. Then they were going to shoot us into outer space using Eric Burden, like Eric Burden declares war. And then once we had those hits, and then it released us on our own, and then we become our own entity. 
You must have. That was that was when no, the car side. No, but that, 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 that was Eric. Eric laid on, and he had this conversation here with Jimmy Hendrix. I was right there. Woo! <laughs> I wasn't there. No, no. We had <laughs> conversations about about the moon could be the satellite, All right. and, and having a radio station so you could broadcast the music to anywhere on earth. Okay. okay. That's what he used to talk about all the time. Yeah, but that's what I heard out of. But uh, the name War was <laughs> when we sat around the pool. Yeah. And and we, he was looking at Velvet Auburn because like oh. uh, like uh, like uh, you know like terrible the, name for yeah us, like an Auburn we really controversial so it shocked people and uh, and I didn't say this name of War I talked about the creative and then that's when he pulled out that name said what should be War you know and even later on when you had Bobby Womack came out with Bobby peace. Womack and Peace um, he called it Peace like this. And Steve Gold was very clever. He said he should have called it like piece of something. I want like a piece of But moving even to another thing is like when when we did Why Can't Be Friends album, right? And I had to, and I did had to cover the same guy I used Howard Miller. I did World Is Together album cover had his illustration his style. I had Why Can't Be Friends, and I had and I had this face that I had him draw. You know, I draw rough things, and he drew it. So we got just the right face that would be like this. Um, I'm this shitty ass smile. Like, I'm sorry if I'm cussing it, but you know this shitty we grin. Just a shit grin. Yeah, the shit grin. You know, shit eating grin. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the album was because the album was going to be called Smile Happy. That's what we we're going to name the album. So after we named it that, I had, I had the illustration done and all that. They decided for crossover. In pop and all that, why can't be friends has that vibe that they were trying to push. So we're gonna call it why can't be friends. And on that face, I had a gold tooth with a diamond. So then Steve Gold decided well, to, decided gold to put a gold tooth. Yeah, he put a gold tooth <laughs> on there and a diamond. And everybody thought to this day that was a picture of, of Steve Gold. It was Steve Gold. Copying that image that I created. But it looks like Steve. It Gold. does, doesn't it? Yeah. And even the laugh that we did in our video. So there's a little bit of some more yeah. trivial inside. All right. Well, um, we'll start talking about some of the music specifically. So here's uh, one of those Eric Burden albums, first one, I believe. Um, can you guys just talk a little bit about like what that particular phase was like for you when you first got going with Eric Burden before you went off on your own? There were a couple of uh, memories from that experience. This before, before, before we did that uh, uh, CD right there. CD album, excuse me, album. <laughs> before we did that album, we, we 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 were rehearsing in Long Beach, California, and, you know, just to get the band together. So we spent a lot of time rehearsing. And Eric would come, Eric and Lee would drive from Hollywood all the way out to Long Beach, Charles Miller's place in Long Beach. And we rehearsed, constantly getting these songs together, getting uh, the song Mother Earth together. We, we, we started getting into this whole thing of being a jam band. Let me interject something. Snoop Dogg used to come there and listen to us rehearse on his bicycle. Like he going, all right. <laughs> but but, but the, we were paid at that time because I wanted to stay with Deacon Jones <laughs> before we uh, came over to Eric. But uh, they, they, they paid us $200 a week at that time to rehearse with Eric Burton, which was a lot of money and it was a great investment because we came up with uh, all those songs. Mother Earth was something that Eric did. Uh, the Spill the Wine, we can tell you about that one. Spill the Wine, Tobacco Road was something that, you know, 
There was John D. Lottermick song mm-hmm. and uh, Rasan Irving, uh, uh, Roland Rasan, Kirk. Yeah, Roland we, we did all those concept songs down, out there in Long Beach and brought them back to the studio. Yeah, because what Eric used to do with this when we first got with him before we even started rehearsing up in Laurel Canyon, he would have us come up there and set and just he would play us all these different albums of different blues artists or different people to listen to. Because I think what he was trying to do is just get us to start thinking about how he was thinking and what he was inundated with and what he was listening to. And we started listening to a lot of different music. Yeah, you know, that's funny. I, I know it was not, he used to just play stuff in his house to me. Yeah. You know, different stuff that I got introduced to. And he would send me down Long Beach and say, because he, he <laughs> bought my bullshit that I was a, that I knew how to read. And write. <laughs> <laughs> so back then, I didn't know how to read. I, I could hear everything, but I couldn't write it down. So I was sent down there. I want you to. I want them to learn this tune or that tune and give you the arrangements. And make sure to do it right. <laughs> and then when I came down there, Papa Key Allen would say, "Lee, just." He wouldn't say shove. He would say, uh, poop. Tut, tut. "No, yeah. no." He would say, oh, "Poop in mouth." Yes. Yeah. You stuck your poop mouth into the plate. <laughs> he, wouldn't, he wouldn't guess. He would say, you got dandruff in your hair. <laughs> so, so it was like, I was like going back. But Eric never came down to Long Beach rehearsal. He did. He got a garage for rehearsal? Yeah. No. He, he did come down there a lot. He's been there. He was oh, there. Maybe, a few maybe, times. Maybe, yeah, a few times. times. Yeah. That was my, my duty to go down every day. <laughs> but we were a jam band. And we used to make shit up all the time. Because Eric would make stuff up. Right. He would start it. Before we even had a record out, before we before we had any hits, he would say something like, "Okay, I'm the pilot, and you the co-pilot, or we're gonna go and do this and that." And he have a poem he would read or right. start something, and we just start going behind. And that's how we, and that liberated me personally because um, it was it was a natural step that uh, to allow me to be in the moment and play as I feel in the moment. Rather than being something that had to be spelled out. There was one time Harold you know, fixated in playing this one fill. And Harold, I got I'll speak. Oh, go he, speak. he was like, he's like me. I mean, I can play it if it's natural, but the minute I gotta think, I'll fumble. And he's doing no, it's not that dab, it's that da-da. You know, studio musicians. And, and, and the minute someone is trying to be too um, um, uh, contrived, pre- yeah, whatever. yeah, too, 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 you know, rather than, letting, rather than the magic, uh, we ain't the band, you know. If we want, if you want to see the greatest band in the world, uh, I mean, like it's a dream come true. Like most people would love to have is the chemistry we have when we just when we just in the moment, not not trying to think. Or that's why we never get tired of playing even the same. Tunes, my music director picks the same freaking 10, no, seven <laughs> tunes in the show. 13, 13. 13 tunes. <laughs> and, uh, and, but he has a way of changing it all and all that. But every time I play, whether it's Friends, World's Together, or Cisco Kid, or whatever I play, it's in the moment. So it never, it never feels like, uh, man, I'm tired of this shit. I want to move on. It's, it's always magic when we play together. Yeah, but see, that was the thing that made us unique. <laughs> and we made all those hits we made. Because I remember when we did Why Can't We Be Friends. I was listening to uh, buddy, uh, anyway, reggae music. Bob Marley. Bob Marley. And I was trying to emulate 
what I conceived as reggae, that one rock. So when we got in there, I didn't play it exactly the way some, you know, real roster would. I played it the way I felt that it should be. And then even when Lottie, God bless him, even when Lottie got there and made that ding, 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 click, 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 it was a mistake. And that mistake has become, you know, part of music. Like even like Lowrider, we stopped, but like Lowrider. When we did Lowrider and, and Charles up there, all my friends, I was on an upbeat. Bah, 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 like a sky. I was on the up. And most guys, they even see that emulated today. They play down on the downbeat like it's right. Low rider, I was on the up, and I said, don't panic. Hey, yeah. Don't panic. Well, let, me, Stay let, me, there. let me just say something. <laughs> I got you. Yeah. When we, we did the first Eric Burton Declares War album, which was like a spill of wine on it, we had a hit up that spill of wine. And this, that we, we were touring, 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 and we became one of the finest rock and roll bands ever with Eric Burton and War. We put out the Black Man's Burton album behind it. We had some, some great arrangements, like Day in the Life, The Back of Road. And though, that album right there, to me, was one of the finest rock and roll albums ever to be produced. And we had a rock and roll band out there playing behind Eric Burton, tearing up the world. Nobody could test the band Eric Burton and War. And for the, from my, my point of view, some most underrated music that's out there today was there with Eric Burton and War. But you know what? It, it, he may call it rock and roll. Uh, Punk and roll. Well, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> the categories is really only for marketing people and librarians. Okay, so forget the categories. We right we we did music that that I mean, look, we had his. You mentioned Tower Records. Here's a, here's a perfect example how dumb, no. how stupid the industry is. In my opinion, <laughs> stupid. Because categories it, it can be a conflict to a lot of things in good business. Here's an example. Somebody walks into Tower Records and there's all these categories. Oh, opera, oh, yeah, classical, ah, oh, man, you know, you know. It, 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 oh, I love pop, you know. So, so now we had a tune like World is Together. World is Together was on the main rotation in three different formats, on the jazz station, on the on B station, and on the pop station. But if I asked somebody and they would say, man, the greatest, I hate jazz, I hate on B, I love pop, and you should hear this cool tune called World is Together. And then the next person will say, man, I don't like pop, or I don't like jazz, the greatest on B is World is Together. You know, and a jazz guy said, man, the greatest jazz man today is listen to this stuff, man. It's called World's Together. I can't stand on being pop. So, so whatever categories is used for, it, it defeats when somebody walks into a place and there's, and people buy an impulse. And so the amount of people that made our, our success of being on a rotation were uh, a lot more people than actually end up buying the album. Because when they went into Tower Records and it's put on the black or on B, that's when you would find it. If it's you don't find it on pop, you didn't find it in jazz. If they've been smart, out of every ten albums, because of proving those formats and radio stations, out of every ten albums, put five in pop, you know, or maybe six in pop, put three in on B and one in jazz, whatever it is. In other words, so when we talk about music, it's always been music. When you talk about an industry. There's a lot of mediocrity, a lot of stupidity, and uh, I'm just, you know, and it's, 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 how do I put it? It's upsetting 
when when mediocrity leans so much and educated so much on what kind of music do you play? I mean, we did a rehearsal once, not a rehearsal, a sound check in Midwest somewhere, and these guys came in and said, my God, you guys playing the band tonight? And I said, yeah. You guys do square dance music? Oh, yeah. yeah. And they came down and, and I do square dance to Cisco Kid. <laughs> Why not? It's, too, it's just a, it's a two, 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 four, you know, two, one, four, two, four, you know. And he came up, my God, it's the best square dance music we ever heard. You know? Look at that. Look at this. So, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of things I can, I can express, but I hope that makes sense. I, 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 when I say, when I'm going back to that, when I say rock and roll band, the, the, the field we were in, the, the shows we were playing, the kind of people that were coming to see that's us. That's Eric Burton. That's Eric Burton. You got to see his and, name. And yeah, but just the backup band behind Eric Burton. Like I said, some, some of the finest music that, in my opinion, not Leo Harrell, in my opinion, some of the finest music that we created at that time was probably on the Black Man Burdens album. And that goes like way underneath the radar because people really didn't catch on to that album like that. And also, that's why we played Ronnie Scott's Jazz Club. Ronnie, Sk Jazz, Ronnie Scott's Jazz Club in London is a, is, was known as a hardcore jazz club. Coltrane, Zuzem, you. You named the hardcore mm -hmm. jazz players, and that was it. They would sneer. They would never even allow what they would call rock and roll in them. But because of Eric Burton's name, he was like a Mick Jagger as a status back then. And because of the way we were, been, the reputation we got as players, and we, we could be called jazz players. at the same time. And, and when, we, when we draw more people than they ever seen, <laughs> and all of a sudden, the club owner, who was like, like pure jazz, says, Man, in the Maldi Maker magazine, the best life band we ever heard. Everybody oh, yeah. was happy. The cash register was going and all that. <laughs> so so we, we, we've been in platforms, whether it's country, jazz, blues, I don't care what well, it is. Or even Latin. A Latin. It's yeah, all, well, we, Latin music. We do a lot of stuff that's mm -hmm. influenced from Latin. Yeah. Well, I think you touched on a lot of key points that make me so unique in this free form, openness to you know, breaking through all the different genres and not worrying if something is so orthodox by the rules, but you know, if there's a mistake, it was with the with the the feel of the time and the moment, and you let it through, and and that's what fans can feel and love about it. Um, can I just say one thing? I want to you know. I, absolutely. I this is my opportunity to mention. There was a very very clever way. Steve Gold was very was brilliant. I'm I'm, I'm talking about Steve, not Jerry Gold. Steve Gold. He was brilliant with wording. And on uh, Eric, the first album you pointed, Eric Burton declares war. Eric Burton was on the MGM Records, still tied in from the animals, still under contract under Mike Kerr. And the band, We Were War, the idea was that through his name that, you know, that launched us as a backup band, we would be independently also then start building the, the the, the branding as war, you know, that was the whole concept. When Eric was stuck with 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 Mike Curb at at the MGM Records, Steve Gold called it Eric Burton declares war. It was a way to announce the band. Yeah. And Mike Curb assumed that he had the band too. Right. But he didn't. And that's when they made a deal with Mike Stewart. At United Artists Records, and Mike Stewart wanted to make sure that he had the seven guys that we were as war, that he he was guaranteed that we had the same guys that Mike Kerr assumed he had. Mm -hmm. 
So that was clever. Then the second album, how I was talking about uh, is um, uh, um, a black, black man's man. burden is is another way of saying the black man's like burden is actually Eric Burton's last name, Burden. It was just, it, and that was on MGM Records too, and that was based on because Eric was trying to get out a deal, and and it's like slavery, or it's 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 unfair that he's being held for this. And third point, spill the wine, because it was it was Eric Burton, Eric Burton, um, uh, and War, and it was on MGM Records. MGM Records would have the rights to the publishing of anything Eric wrote based on the Animals deal. However, when when Eric Burton um, uh, wanted to be partners with Steve and Jerry, and they had filed music publishing, they, he gave up, he didn't take credit for writing any of Spill the Wine. In other words, the lyrics he wrote, we wrote the music. But he didn't take claim for writing the lyrics, anything. So that way the publishing would be be under filed music uh, uh, instead of gone to MGM Records. I always think that's an amazing story. <laughs>